He loved us so much. He died for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that song, Jess. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, you can stand with me, please. By the way, if you're a student of the Scripture, if you get a chance, go home and read Ezra chapter 8. They stood for four hours while the Word of God was read. We're not going to do that long. We're going to do three hours a day. They're not even awake yet, I don't think. Colossians chapter 3. So glad you're here this morning. Verses 5 through 11. We're kind of working our way through this text. The Bible says, Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. But now, how many laugh about now? You also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have you put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Father, thank you for your precious word. And Lord, we need to hear from you today. We are a needy people. And Lord, I pray that we'll turn our minds and our hearts and focus on you. We didn't come to get a blessing. We came to worship you today, Lord. But we know that when we worship you, we will be blessed. We love and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. As I said a moment ago, we are slowly working our way through this text. In verse 5, the Bible gives us five things to mortify. Verse 6 tells us the reason, and that's because those sins bring the wrath of God. And if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. You don't want to face the wrath of God. You just don't want to face that. And we began looking last week at the wrath of God. And several important principles we need to remember. First of all, God doesn't just reveal his wrath arbitrarily. Something we need to understand. God is not an angry God unless he's provoked. And so he doesn't just give it out arbitrarily, but because his nature is perfect, God cannot and he will not let sin go unpunished. So sin is going to be unpunished. And while we live in this present world day by day, those who uh, live sinful lives, will experience God's wrath in the natural as a natural consequence of sinful behavior. Now make a mistake about it, folks. Be sure your sins will find you out. And God is paying attention. So while it happens in the ordinary time of life, the natural consequence of sin, there's coming a day when the final consummation of God's wrath is going to happen. And and by the way, 
it will be a final punishment for evil. I would challenge you in your time, when you get a chance, read at least the last four or five chapters of Revelation. And you'll find there that God's wrath is poured out on this earth, his final wrath. But my friend, the worst thing of all is to leave this world without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, because if you do, you will end up in a devil's hell, separated for eternity from a loving God, all because of our sin. So God's wrath has always been consistently directed to those who do and live against His will. His wrath against sin... His wrath against disobedience is completely, perfectly justified because God has a plan for mankind and God's plan is holy, God's plan is perfect, and thank God He provided a way out. He provided a way to gain divine favor. And that way is repenting from our sins, turning to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and my friend, that turns God's wrath away from the sinner. Thank God for Jesus. But if we reject that perfect plan, it's to reject God's love, God's mercy, God's grace. And when we reject that, we earn His righteous wrath. The wages of sin is death. But thank God the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And everyone who believes in the Son of God will never suffer the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ took God's wrath upon him when he died on Calvary. He paid the price for you and I. But everyone, those who choose not to accept Jesus Christ, those who do not receive a Savior, the Bible says they will be judged on the day of wrath. And my friend, my prayer that no one listening today, even online, does not find that to be true in their lives. That's important to understand. We don't know the day of God's wrath. But we do know, and the Bible is very clear, no one will escape that final encounter with their Creator. Everyone will one day stand before God. And the Bible says we are to live our lives with that in mind. There's a judgment day coming. And that's why we need to live every day of our lives knowing that the day of the Lord is near. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. We started, we ended up here last week and we mentioned that Christ will come when the world least expects it. But child of God, if you study the scripture, we don't have to be caught off guard. That day is coming. But it's interesting Paul wrote there in Thessalonians 5-2 that the day of the Lord comes at the end of the night. That's been about 2,000 years ago 
since Paul wrote those words. In our world today, we'll point out very quickly, what do you mean, the Lord's returning? Thousands of years have come and gone, and he's not returned yet. But understand something, folks. The warning is clear. He is coming again. Second Peter chapter 3, we left off here last week, verse 3 and 4. Peter says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter says in the last days. Do you know when the last days began? When Jesus ascended to heaven. The angel told the disciples, why stand you there gazing in the sky? This same Jesus, you see carried up, is going to come again. Paul and Peter believed that it was possible that Christ would come in their day. Many of the church of Thessalonica thought so. They said, we're not going to work. Paul said, that's okay. Because Paul already had a welfare program in sight. If you don't work, you don't eat. I'm working. Amen. You can tell, right? <laughs> but scoffers. And whether it's in Paul and Peter's day, New Testament day, or now, their argument is that since creation, the world has continued in a natural order. Since God created everything, all this time, all these thousands of years, there's been a system of cause and effect. Now, I mentioned last week in closing that this was a straw man argument. And a straw man argument basically takes something that is true and takes it to the extreme. Now, how many know, unless God says different, tomorrow morning the sun will come up. And my forecast for tonight will be dark. Okay? And the next day and the next day and the next night. And so what they've done, and that's true. There's an order to our world. And you know why there's order to our world? Because God created that way. And so because it's been going on for so long, and it has, that argument is they don't believe that God would intervene allow anything out of the ordinary to happen. And especially no miracles. 
So they scoff at the teaching about a second coming at the end of the world. But like I said last week, it's a straw man argument. Because what they forget in that argument, when they say the world remained unchanged, they forget it was God who created the world. Hear me? If God created something and something had to change. And so even the simple fact of creation, it really disproves their argument that all things continue. Because the creation of this earth, of this world we live in, was an imposed change on a world that was formless and void. Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, (coughs) excuse me, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And please understand, the very reason that our world continues in a stable, predictable pattern was because God in His grace created it that way. And the first thing we need to understand... To refute their argument. The Bible says, by the word of God, the heavens were created. Genesis 1, verse 6 through 8. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let us separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So what's the Bible tell us? There was a time this world was void. It was dark. And there was water everywhere. And God said, let's do something about that. Let's separate these waters. So there's water above and water below, and there's a heavens in between, the air. Was that change? Yes. So all things have not continued exactly the same from the beginning. So by the word of God, the heavens were created. Second of all, by the word of God, an earth was formed out of the water by the means of water. That means when God gathered the water together, dry land appeared. Genesis 1, verse 9 and 10. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together under one place. And let the dry land appear. And by the way, when God says it, guess what? And it was so. 
another change. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. So there are two changes already. And so creation proves that all things have not continued as they've always been. And yes, there is stability because God in His grace created that way. But my friend, we should never take that stability for granted. And so those who would scoff, they deliberately choose to ignore the fact that God has been and is involved in this world. And the Bible is very clear. The water that had parted in order to allow the dry land to appear. In those days, they returned. And those same waters that God parted in Genesis early on, in chapter 6, 7, 8, 9 of of Genesis, we're not going to read that today, they returned and they covered the entire earth in the flood. So what about your argument? All things have continued the same since the beginning. And what happened in the day of Noah was simply God's judgment. God's wrath on an evil world. So we have creation, an act of God. And we have the flood, was also an act of God. So your argument is a straw man argument. It is true things continue as they are. But there can be a time and there will be a time when God says time will be no more. His wrath is coming. And I think it's important to remember this. At, at the end of the day. What matters is not exactly when the day of wrath will come. What matters is that we know the time is ticking. Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. How many know what an appointment is? Ever had an appointment? A doctor appointment? Maybe meeting with someone you had an appointment schedule? And every once in a while we need to cancel that appointment for whatever reason. <laughs> I remember some years ago, our uh, my second pastor... He had an appointment to do a wedding here at church. He forgot about it. And he'd gone on visitation somewhere, and he'd come back, and he told me, told me later about it. <laughs> he's telling people, about what's going on? And then it dawned on him. He's supposed to marry, and I know the couple. <laughs> he missed that appointment. But my friend, there's an appointment nobody's going to miss. It's appointed unto man once to die. And by the way, that's the wages of sin. 
Because of Adam, death entered in for all man. But that was the first man, Adam. I'm glad for the second man, Adam. Jesus Christ. And that's bad enough, but then the last part of verse 27, Hebrews 9. After this, the judgment. We don't know the day of the Lord. We don't even know the day of our own death. But the Bible gives good advice here. We will treat both days with respect if we call them near. Nearer today than it was yesterday. Because on that day, the day of the Lord, the wicked will be punished and the righteous will be rewarded. Amen. Declared righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's me. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So that's kind of an overview of God's wrath. But let's talk about human wrath. We mentioned last week that God's wrath is holy. God's wrath is always justified. Ours is never holy. It's rarely justified. And the Bible warns against human wrath. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place on the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. If you're a student of the scripture, remember the time when David was fleeing from Saul. And on two occasions, <clears throat> God had placed Saul, unknowing to Saul, in David's hand. David could have killed him. And two different times, David said, I will not put my hand on God's anointed. I'll leave it to God. And because we're human, we often want to take revenge and repay evil for evil. You did me wrong, I'll do you wrong. But the Bible reminds me, don't take revenge. Leave it in the hands of God. Now, I've got to tell you, folks, that's easy for me to say. I can tell you that all day long. But it's hard to live, isn't it? It's hard to live. Because in human practice, revenge is repaying evil for evil with interest. You hurt me, I want, you to, I want to hurt you more. And the reason is, our personal demands for justice are mixed with wounded pride. You hurt my feelings. Our demands for justice are mixed with hatred. It's mixed with sinfulness. And because of that, any opportunity we have for revenge, we ought to take a moment and say, God, I'm going to give it to you. 
I will turn it over to you. So biblical advice is simply this. Don't act vengefully. Leave it in the hands of God. And by the way, only God is able to avenge. Because God's vengeance is perfect. God's vengeance is holy. And our wrath is sinful. And when we express our wrath and vengeance, we are opening ourselves up. And hear me well. Hear me well. To demonic influence. Satan wants us to get angry. He wants us to be vengeful. And for those of us who are in Christ, anger and wrath are inconsistent with our new nature. And that nature is Christ himself. We've used it first quite a bit in this series. It still fits here. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man or any woman, any person be in Christ, he or she is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if we are going to gain freedom from the domination of wrath, we need the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to sanctify and cleanse our heart of feelings of wrath and anger. And my friend, I will tell you today, if we will confess it to God, the Spirit of God will cleanse us from that. And only He can do that. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Notice this. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they're in the flesh, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Whenever you and I make a conscious decision that we're going to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives, it will bring us full life on earth. A glorious life, an abundant life. It brings eternal life, but most of all, it brings peace with God. And I am so glad today that I have peace with God. And not only do I have peace with God, I've got the peace of God in my life. And whenever we live in the Spirit, my friend, we will have victory over sin in our lives. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. How many know, the day you got saved, the Spirit of God moved in? I'm not sure, preacher. Read Romans chapter 8. If you have not the Spirit of God, you are none of His. The day you got saved. So the Spirit of God lives in us. Paul would write later on, Be you filled with the Spirit. And that word filled means controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit is in our lives. He lives there. The Holy Spirit abides in us. 
And what we have to do, he wants to control our lives, but he doesn't force it. So how in the world can I cooperate with the Spirit's control? I'm glad you asked. Number one, we need to ask God for greater openness and responsiveness to the Holy Spirit's guidance. He wants to guide you, my friend. And number two, if I'm going to cooperate with the Spirit of God, I have to consciously humble myself before God. Humble myself before God. Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I have to come to a place in my life where I humble myself and admit before God, Lord, I am not too proud to change. I can change. Humble ourselves before God. Third thing we need to do is look to God's Word for guidance. Oh, my heart breaks for Christians who don't get into the Bible. But God doesn't speak to me. Do you read the Bible? And every time you read His Word, think of this. He's speaking to you. Personally. God speaking to you through His Word. So look to His Word for guidance. And the fourth thing is this. When you have clear direction from God's Word... Obey it. Obey it. Anybody remember the day when a lot of cars didn't have power steering? Remember that? Oh, I had power steering both arms, right? (laughs) I remember growing up in a country and working for several farmers through the years, and uh, most of those tractors that day didn't have power steering either, and a lot of them would have a knob on the steering wheel, you know. Now, I, if I remember correctly, in Illinois, it was against the law to have them on your steering wheel in your car, but it was there to help turn that wheel. And I found out, whether it be a tractor or an automobile with power steering, if you're moving slowly, it'll, it'll turn a little easier. But if you stop, it's harder yet to turn it. And the same way is true of the Holy Spirit. Our forward movement will enhance the Spirit of God's leading. It will enhance His leading. And by the way, it doesn't make sense to steer a parked car. And God's Spirit wants to steer our lives. So my question this morning is, when's the last time you prayed like Jesus? Lord, not my will, but your will. And and the Bible says that the mind that's controlled by the Spirit, instead of being filled with wrath and anger, that mind is filled with peace. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, be careful. That means don't worry. Don't be anxious. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known 
unto God. Verse 7. And the peace of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your minds, I'm sorry, your hearts and your minds, through Christ Jesus. What a promise. The peace of God. That word keep there, it's a military term, means to garrison. To guard your heart. And I want to tell you something, folks. I've learned my experience and through the Word of God, most importantly. Nothing can protect my heart like the peace of God. And I can face anything in my life when I realize I have the peace of God. So the wrath of God is a terrifying thing. The wrath of God is fearsome. And only those who are covered with the blood of Christ, the blood he shed on the Calvary, have the assurance that God's wrath will never, ever fall on them. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Paul says much more then. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. How many know today That when God looks at our lives, we are covered with the blood. We have been declared righteous. And this morning I give praise and glory to the Lord for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the Bible promises that those who have done that will never ever experience the wrath of God. But also the Bible is very clear that those who trust in the blood of Jesus Christ want to mortify the deeds of the flesh because of the wrath of God. My prayer this morning that anyone who's here, everyone is here Everyone who's listening online would all know Christ as Savior. Because the thing is, those who die without knowing Jesus Christ will spend eternity in a devil's hell. And Jesus died so we don't have to do that. We don't have to experience the wrath of God because Jesus did it for us. And the great news is this. He didn't just do it for me. He did it for the sins of the whole world. 
and whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life. Let's stand together. My heart goes out to those whose eyes are blinded by Satan. And my prayer is that God would open their eyes, that they would let God open their eyes, because God never forces His way in. Jesus said in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I realize the context of the talking about the church. But I think God also wants to get into our lives personally. And if you don't know him today, you can. And it's more than joining a church. It's more than being baptized. And those are important. And like Jesus told Nicodemus, a very religious man, he said, you must be born again. I hope you know that you are. If you're not, you need to come and pray. You can pray where you are. But you need to seek God's face. Repent of your sins. Confess Him as your Lord and Savior. And He'll come into your life. Father, I love you today. And I praise you. And I pray, God, that you would speak to hearts as only you can. And Father, let us all live our life with the truth that your coming is near. A day appointed is near. Thank God for grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We got a song of invitation, yes?